We need to know that our teenagers don't have a biblical worldview. That many of them are actively involved in sexual sin. If not, at the least, that is the world that they are growing up in. And three, they are being told that Christianity is not reasonable. That it's nothing more than a fairy tale. There's no evidence, certainly, to support a belief in God. So what are we going to do about it? Well, here's the solution. We're going to give three very, very practical things for you to do to help in this. We will also give you an opportunity to take the next step and get involved in a formal ministry that helps reach out to teenagers. But what I'm about to teach right now, you could start tomorrow, tonight. You could do it just yourself. You could implement it into your church. Or again, you could go to the next step and become really trained to work with teenagers in official capacity. In fact, what you're hearing today is a condensed version of two and a half day training that I do with adults all across the country. So I'm going to be very careful at getting long-winded because we're condensing a lot. But here's the three basic things that adults need to do. Display holiness. Allow questions. And provide answers. How many of you have heard that the reason someone doesn't go to church is because of hypocrisy? There's always a joke that follows that though, right? Well, there's always room for one more in church, we say. But hypocrisy is a serious issue that doesn't need to be swept under the rug by a joke. I, it's, I think it's a fair objection to the Christian message when you see a bunch of people masquerading around saying this is what I think this is what I believe this is how you should act if you don't act this way God's gonna judge you and send you to hell but oh by the way don't notice that I do the very things and not just that I do them but I practice them and that is the big difference right Christians sin there's no doubt about that but there is a difference between sinning and practicing sinning as John talks about in 1 John. Christian adults, let us show the realness of God and the power of the gospel through an authentic, holy lifestyle. Amen? This is the foundation for ministry to teenagers. You yourself must be seeking righteousness and growing in holiness. And they need to see that in your life. Because there's holiness, it's more than simply the absence of a sinful lifestyle. It is also the presence of good works. I told you before, I, I taught high school. And you know what the most commonly asked question by students is? No, it's not, can we have 10 more questions for practice? It's this. When am I ever going to use this. You asked that last week, didn't you? Possibly. Possibly. Well, let me tell you, that's the right question to ask. You should ask that question. We don't just learn to have random facts in our head. We learn so that we can do something. Do better at our job. Hit a curveball. Win at Texas Hold'em. Know how to court a girl. Know how to love your wife. But we learn so that we can do. We don't only learn so that we can know. And so it is right for us 
to ask this question. So adults, what I want to say is let your lifestyle answer that question for teenagers regarding why do I need your God? Why do I need this faith? Why should I follow the teachings of Jesus? Let them look at your life and go, oh, that's why. Let them look at your marriage and see the goodness that comes from a biblical marriage. Don't just be able to show them or explain to them why same-sex marriage isn't good for society. Show them the goodness of natural marriage through your own. Teenagers need to see what Christianity looks like. And adults, have we been faithful in that? By and large, I don't think we have. So let us, friends, go forward from today, empowered by the Holy Spirit, with a commitment to live an open and authentic Christian lifestyle in front of young adults. Amen? Amen. Second thing we need to do is allow questions. I have an experience and a story that I'm sure many of you have had where you've talked to, well, I'll just tell you mine. Recently, uh, a young man reached out and he said, uh, you know, you know, I, I respect you. I, I, don't, uh, I don't believe like you do, but I always appreciated the conversations that we had. And so when you have opportunities like this, what I find is most effective is to not start preaching or start throwing out arguments, reasons, or evidence, but to ask questions. Asking questions is incredibly important. So the question I asked is, what is your biggest objection still to Christianity? What is the hardest thing that you have to get past in coming to believe in Jesus? And you know what his answer was? He tells a story. That's a good point just to remember. A lot of times it's experiences and not questions that have driven people away from God. But he tells a story about growing up and he started to have questions. So the questions were involved. And he went to his church leaders and asked these questions. And you know what he was told? Shut up. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> shut up. Christians don't ask these questions. They just have faith. How many of you have heard the cliche expression, perhaps, long, long time ago, said it yourself? If we had answers, we wouldn't have to have faith. And so an entire generation of teenagers have been told, don't ask questions, just believe. Which is why if you were ever to just go online at c3ptc.com and find my church and listen to a handful of sermons, it seems like in almost every sermon, I'm encouraging the church, you can ask questions. It is right for you to ask questions. So how do we allow questions? Well, there are three keys to this. One is you need to build intergenerational relationships. And this is so important because we live in the, the, the Internet age. A question is likely to go through Google before it goes through an adult. I don't know if there's anything we can do about that, to be honest. But one of the ways that we can help that is simply they know an adult they can ask this question to. Because I will tell you this, teenagers desperately want an adult that they can talk to. I know it may not just see like, seem like that, 
You might go, well, if they want this, why don't they come ask me about this? That's not the way it works. There is a bit of an intimidation factor. So whose responsibility is it to build relationships? It's ours. So how do we build intergenerational relationships? One is just go to where they are. If you have a youth ministry at your church, just go volunteer. If you're a sports fan, host a party to watch the Falcons get beat by the Saints like they did last night. <laughs> oh, are you a Saints fan? Oh, okay. Well, you can leave right now. No, I'm, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you're a musician, find a concert to go to. Have people over for a jam session. One of the things we do at our church is we let and develop young musicians and let them play in real church. What a great way for a young musician to get to know somebody that they can identify with than in a Sunday morning practice for big church. Adults, you need to take the initiative and to go where they are or to provide opportunities for them to come and to rally around some common interest so that they get to know you. It is our responsibility. But another way that we allow for questions is that we respond to the questioner more than we respond to the question. And here's what I mean by this. How, how many of you are married men? Have you ever asked your wife a question to see if you could ask the real question? <laughs> Have you ever, for example, come home and it's a nice day like today maybe and you're a golfer and you want to go play golf but you don't lead with the, hey, can I go play golf? You lead with the, hey, honey, how was your day? <laughs> because you want to find out if you can ask the real question. Is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can do for you? That's right. Now, how many of your wives are suspicious when you come with that question? I know mine would be. It works. Well, teenagers do the same thing. They ask a question to know if they can ask their real question. And they will know if they can ask their real question simply based by how you, on how you respond to them. If you respond in a, hey, that's a really good question. Well, why, how did you come to that conclusion? Why, why did you think like that? You know, I've actually wondered that myself. If you respond to them in a gracious, gentle, humble, and loving manner, you often allow them to go, the next level and ask what's really on our mind. The biggest tool that you can take away from today, I think, in working with teenagers is this. Don't give them an answer when they ask for it the first time. You're like, I'm getting a refund for this conference. <laughs> I came to get, I want to know how to, what answer to give. Working with teenagers, counseling in general, isn't about giving people the right answer. That's certainly a part of it. It is not the most important thing. And here's why. How many times have you given somebody the right answer and it did no good? There's more going on in people's lives than an intellectual battle. It's not as though people are questioning things and you just lay out the perfect apologetic response. You give them the right answer and then, oh, they bow their knees and they praise Jesus. That doesn't happen very often, does it? No, these things come about. The good things, following Jesus Christ, faithfully surrendering Him, come more through an ongoing relationship and the truth therein than simply one-liners. So practice. Get in the habit 
of asking questions and responding to people in a more holistic way rather than simply offering a response to the position they threw out or the question that they have. And you do this through things like facial expressions, body language, asking a question, telling your own story, asking them to tell their story. And then you get to see a much bigger picture. So respond to the questioner more than simply responding to the question. Not only is it effective, but you could start that today, couldn't you? I know one of the tendencies of coming away from a conference like this is you're just overwhelmed. You're like, I will never be a Gary Habermas or whomever you've seen today. I will never have that level of knowledge. And sometimes we become paralyzed by what we don't have rather than being empowered by a simple tactic like this to begin ministering with what we do have, which at the very least is our own story. So respond to the questioner more than their questions. And then third, just provoke questions yourself. This is what I do with my own kids. I'm trying to anticipate the questions they're going to have before they have them. <coughs> I don't want the first time they question something like same-sex marriage to be from a friend or a TV show. I'd much rather it be because I've questioned it in a safe, loving environment where there is time to grow in knowledge rather than playing catch-up and having them already wrestled with something to the point where it's spilling over and then they ask the question, but they've been dealing with this for six months or a year. So I provoke questions myself. And you can only do this if you have built relationships, you practice responding to the person holistically so that they feel safe when you're provoking questions of your own. One of the greatest things my youth minister did for me, and I'll be quick so I can move on and give us some time for Q&A. He did this just with the leaders. He didn't do this in a big group setting. This isn't something you would do in a big group setting because it's too dangerous. You can't control it well enough. But in small group settings, he would, I remember this to this day, I don't probably remember any sermon he ever preached, but I remember this. He, uh, he brings us into his office. There's a handful of us. He opens up his Bible, and he goes to Cain and Abel, and you know Cain kills Abel. And then in chapter 4, it talks about he's married and building cities. And so the question that was answered, wait a minute. Okay, guys. So reading the Bible, we have Adam and Eve. We have Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. Now he's building cities. Who is he building cities for? Have fun with that one. And he just left us with that. <laughs> he didn't give us an answer. I'm telling you, friends, one of the best things you can do with teenagers, again, is not give them an answer. Make them find it themselves. And certainly we came back and he did help us. He did give us answers. But you know what that did very early on? Is it threw away the scare tactic of the unanswered questions or contradictions in the Bible. Again, this is something that would be better for them to experience with you than that militant atheist professor. Let them experience a supposed biblical contradiction with you rather than Bart Ehrman. Lastly, we do want to provide answers. Okay, so I've, I've said it several times here. Don't give them answers, don't give them answers. Well, that's not entirely true. We do want to give them answers, but I don't want you walking away from here thinking it's the most important thing. But it is important. And I want to give us kind of three categories 
of answers to kinds of questions that teenagers have. And it's this. We need to provide answers to God, culture, and their relationships. What I mean by this is teenagers obviously just have questions about God. A lot of them, though, aren't really classic apologetics questions. It's basic Bible questions. A lot of what, again, manifests in a rejection to Christianity stems from a misunderstanding of Christianity. I can't tell you how many teenagers I've spoken to, and they would call themselves an atheist. And it's because of, uh, they give a reason, it's a misunderstanding of the Bible. It's a misunderstanding of who God is. So they have questions to God. One of the biggest questions they have is the problem of pain and evil. And this manifests itself in so many different ways. So if you want to work with teenagers, one of the big questions you need to get ready to answer them regarding God is His goodness. Is God good when there is so much suffering? And again, this lecture this morning isn't about that, but there are so many good resources on how to answer the problem of pain that you can go and read yourself. I would just give you two, and it's literally called The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. And then it's called Grief Observed. He wrote them both. And he wrote The Problem of Pain, which is kind of a classic, if you've read any of C.S. Lewis' books, kind of a classic Lewis approach, The Problem of Pain, very intellectual, very witty, very rational. Then his wife died. And he experienced a grief. And he wrote a very personal book called A Grief Observed. And reading them in that order is what I would recommend, unless you're going through pain, then I would re read them in the reverse order. But in terms of preparing yourself on how to work with teenagers, I would read the problem of pain, then read the grief observed. Because when you're dealing with this issue with teenagers, again, if they're really going through suffering, or if they're really questioning the goodness of God, often it is not an intellectual answer that they need first. They need a person to love them, to suffer their anger, to let them be angry, to let them be confused, walk with them through that process, and give them answers. But they also have questions related to culture. And it's this, it's what does my faith mean for this world? One of the neat things about teenagers is they are passionate about doing good things. They want to be social activists. And let me tell you, you can be a Christian and a social activist. They're not mutually exclusive. Often we find within Christianity polar opposites. Those that are just about the gospel and say society can go to hell, and those that are just about society and don't care if people go to hell. But you can be a faithful follower of Christ and be a faithful evangelist and be one that is seeking the good of your neighbor, the good of this world. And teenagers want to do that. They want to know, what does my faith mean for anybody else? Is my salvation only so that I don't have to go to hell? But is my salvation for other people? Can I be used as an agent of good in renewing this world? And yes, they can. And yes, you should show them how. A couple of great resources for that. A friend of mine, John Stone Street and Warren Cole Smith have a new book out called Restoring All Things. It's a great book that can practically show you how you can equip your teenagers, your church to get involved in doing good in this world. Now here's something that I've recently come across that is just fantastic. It's called For the Life of the World. It's by the Acton Institute and it's a video series and I don't know that I've ever seen anything this good. And yes, they are paying me for these endorsements. 
I'm looking for the check, friends. It's a DVD series, and the quality of this is one of the most enjoyable things I've ever seen. The DVD is called For the Life of the World, acronym FLOW, to help you remember it. It's so good, and teenagers are eating it up. In fact, I was showing this at my church to adults, and some of the adults went home, bought their own copies so they could just show their kids. I didn't even tell them to do that. That's how good it is. But it helps with this question of what is my salvation for? How can I be active in renewing this world? And let me just tell you, friends, again, not only is it just good for us to do good things, I think we are morally obligated to seek the good of our neighbor, but it is also good for evangelism. Because Christianity is good. And when others can see its goodness, what does it say in Matthew? They will see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. So Christians, let us capture our culture's imagination about the goodness of our faith by doing good things. And then lastly, they want to know what it means for the relationships. They want to know, how can I have these conversations with my friends and not make them hate me? They want to know how to talk to their friends. So the whole reason why I wrote, wrote relational apologetics was teaching high school students. And they said, I'm just tired of getting in fights. All I ever do is get in fights. It's not effective. So they want to be taught, how do I talk to my friends about this? And two really good resources is one my own. Sorry for that shameless plug. Relational apologetics. You can get it downstairs. Another one is Tactics by Greg Kokel. Those are, if I'm humble enough to say, two books that you should read because they will help you equip your teenagers to follow them. And then lastly, what we talked about are things that you can do this very day. You can go home and start practicing these things. You can commit to living a holy lifestyle. You can provide a safe space for questions to be asked. And you can be give, begin giving answers to the questions teenagers have. If you so desire to take the next step, Ratio Christi, the ministry that I'm working with, we are starting college prep chapters all over the country. We're, doing, we're providing two and a half day training for adults. It's basically four three hour sessions that equips them how to get started in a formal ministry like this. Where you then just agree to meet with students on a weekly basis in a small group setting, leading them through curriculum that will train them and equip them to know why Christianity is true, to know why it matters for the good of this world and how to be effective and articulate defenders of it. And if you would like more information about how to get involved with Ratio Christi, I'm certainly glad to talk to you again. We have a table downstairs. So friends, let us go forward with hope, knowing that our good God can do more than we could ever imagine and to know that He has already pricked the hearts of His church. There are so many that want answers. Let us ready ourselves to show with our lifestyle the truthfulness and the goodness of Christianity and then us, let us faithfully teach these things and pass them on to the next generation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.